Welcome to Big Blend Radio with travel writer Linda Kassam, the food, wine, and shopping diva. Hey, everybody. You know, we do our first uh, Saturday with Diva Linda Kassam, the food, wine, shopping diva, uh, travel writer, food, wine, food and wine writer. But today we're actually talking about business, the business of coral farming. Who even knew that this existed? But it does. I think it's pretty cool because it seems like we don't need to go and harvest coral from the ocean to enjoy a, you know, a fish tank in your home. So we're very excited to have Linda back on the show and her son-in-law, Misha Shalhas, back on. And Misha has been on our show over the years with his music. He's an incredible guitarist and so excited to have him back on. But for this podcast, I encourage you to go to his website, DesertCoralRanch.com. Or go to his Instagram, Desert Coral Ranch on IG, uh, so you can see what we're talking about, especially if you're uh, listening in instead of watching YouTube. But welcome back, Diva Linda. How are you? I'm very good, and I'm very excited about this particular show. Um, this is something new to me that my uh, son-in-law, Misha, uh, introduced me to. And I just, yes, two days ago, tw- yeah, right after Christmas, um, he I was down at the bottom of his house and where he keeps all the uh, coral growing and so forth. And, you know, I could have spent hours with him listening to him. So this should be a really good show. I think we all are going to learn something. Who knew that you Mm -hmm. could go from being a hobby to being a commercial farmer. So uh, we have some uh, topics we want to discuss with Misha that we hope will bring everybody up to speed on and how one does, does this and why we do it. Yeah, that's exciting. But welcome back, Misha. It's been a few years. Hi, thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be here again. Now, are you still playing guitar? This is like, I have to bring that up first. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I will never stop playing the guitar, obviously. That's my main yeah. passion. Um, you know, since COVID, the music industry changed a little bit. And, you know, a few artists have just decided to also change along with it. And uh, come out different the other end. And it applies to me too. So I do have musical plans uh, brewing, which are also going to be very interesting. I don't know. You know the area a little bit. Have you heard of the Red Dog Saloon in Pioneer yeah. Town? Yes. So I'm yes. probably going to do a monthly blues night there pretty very soon. Cool. So yes. that's going to be cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm still playing, but I'm, you know. A little less than before COVID, I must say. And and everyone, uh, Misha is based out of Joshua Tree, California area, 29 Palms, Joshua Tree. And during COVID, we actually were locked down in 29 Palms at our friend's house. Uh, she had a bed and breakfast over there that she since finally sold. We're all happy for her. Uh, but we were there and, and we're sitting there and you were in Joshua Tree doing these concerts from a bus, a school bus, and people mm-hmm. were driving up and honking their horns. And ha- and we're like, there's Misha. No way, this is so cool. We're all like, yep. who, you did some awesome. And, you know, and, and that's, I bring this up because you're always thinking outside the box. As a musician, yet, at, you know, as a musician, you're very good at your technicalities and understanding the foundation of music. But then you're like, now I'm going to take that and use it to do something what I want to do. And I think that's the same with what you're doing with coral farming. Wouldn't you think, Linda, that that kind of goes hand in hand about you learn the basics and then you can, you know, break the rules? You're a diva. You get to break the rules all the time. I think so. Misha has a lot of different types of interest. Um, he's a brilliant man, actually. And 
you know, with brilliant people, they get uh, lots of ideas of what they want to do and, and what they can do. So uh, this coral farming, I think, was one of those. I think, as I remember, he started out as a small um, hobby and then uh, went to this commercial uh uh, farming now that he does so um i don't know um let's let's start from the beginning if that's okay with misha and what is a saltwater coral tank and and how is it set up that's the basics of of what you do correct yeah that's the basics so um when i was very young i went to the um garden store at my hometown in germany where they also have a pet and fish department and I saw the saltwater fish with their fantastic colors, you know, because over uh, freshwater fish, the saltwater has a, you know, a richness in colors that you enhance with this blue type of light that you see here. And also in the pictures behind you guys, the blue light really brings out those, those you know, popping colors. So I saw that as a kid and I was like, that's what I want. And of course, everybody was like, oh, no, that's too expensive. You know, you have to, you know, it takes it's too hard to take care of it. And everything like this. And so I never got it. And I had a freshwater tank, though, as a kid. And then as an ad adult, I tried to get into it just purely from the hobby point of view. And I found a very cheap tank in Palm Springs where a gentleman wanted to get rid of it. I think for a 100 bucks, I picked up my first tank with everything in it, even fish and everything. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And that was about five, six, five, five six years ago. And, um, um, I already forgot the question, but I thought it, uh, I think it was about the basics of a saltwater tank, right? So mm -hmm. that's how I got my first salt, saltwater tank. And, um, basically what it is, you need a bunch of water. You need flow to make the water go around to bring the oxygen into the water. You need light and then you need a bunch of rock to host the biology that's happening in a tank like this because it looks very easy and easygoing, but there is actually a lot of science and biology behind it. However, the hobby industry does have easy access to that. So they sell packages with all the gear all at once, for example, or an all-in-one tank. Um, because that's what I started with. It's, it was an all-in-one tank. So all the filtration, everyth everything was built in the back of the tank. And it's set in the corner, and that's that's how I got started with the with the little tank. But soon I noticed, you know, if you want to grow the nicer corals, you need a a bigger system. And why is that? The more water you have, the easier it gets. The more stable the system becomes. Imagine you have a tiny fish uh, bowl, and something goes wrong, the water gets bad really quickly. But if you have a big amount of water, and something's not ideal, it will dilute itself. And you have time to catch up and to correct the problem, you know. <laughs> so that's when I thought like, okay, hey, this is so much fun <laughs> on a small scale. Let's try to go on a big scale. And actually where I'm sitting right here inside our house, um, setting up this tank right there, it kicked off a whole remodel of our house seven years ago. That was one of the main. <laughs> no way. Yeah, it was one of the main reasons six six years ago that I wanted to remodel the house because the tank needs a lot of light and flow, like I was talking about. So that needs a lot of electricity. It also needs to be heated at all times. And um, mostly what you see in this part, the display tank, you see none of the 
filtration or the heating or anything. It's all hidden away. And for most tanks that's underneath here, they have what they call a sump area where, the, where there is another tank, a filtration tank, and the water cycles down into here, gets filtered and gets pumped back up. For me, that's a complete little building outside of this house. Oh outside God. of the wall, I build a little shed that hosts all the filtration and hosts another couple little tanks, shallow grow tanks that are not display tanks that are tall where you can look in, but they are shallow. So they, the light hits a lot of water, right? Um, over it having to penetrate deep. And you can also put more. I have two grow tanks there in a shelf, but we can talk about the uh, grow tanks later because that would be the main difference from a hobby um, tank to a um, professional farming tank is just the layout of stuff. Do I have a shallow tank to have easy access or do I have a large tank to look at stuff? But all the other things, the light, the filtration, the biology, all of that, it's the same. So, yeah, so I started with a very small hobby tank in the corner. And when I wanted to go big, I was like, let's just, you know, let's get all the power here that we need, you know, put the power in the wall, you know, break through the wall. So can have plumbing through the wall <laughs> and on the outside, on the outside, build a shed, you know, put stucco on the shed. It looks like a part of the house. It is, you know, so all that's house. And you're outside still married. Now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the benefit of that was that the, all the other house, including the kitchen and the bathroom, also got done at the same oh, time. Okay. Well so done. It was a fair trade-off, you know. Yeah. Um, and she enjoys the fish, you know, for a little while. Actually, while we remodeled this part of the house where this tank is now, my hobby tank was in the bedroom, and oh. that wasn't <laughs> so good. So once it was out of the bed bedroom, we decided it's going to stay out of the bedroom, the fish tank, because you have to run around with buckets and, you know, so, oh. but not here anymore since all my filtration is outside of the house and down there in the garage, the part that Linda was talking about with my shallow grow tank setups. And I think you guys have a couple pictures of that also. I don't know if you will throw, mm. throw them up yeah. on the website or Absolutely. so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, that's really set up like a farm with a shallow tank that has easy access from all sides. So I can reach inside my sump. My filtration area is very big, uh, so I can access it easy. It's not hidden away, you know, and, um, we yeah, all so need a I, filtration area these days. I think, well, listen, we, our air is polluted, but I wanted to just kind of circle mm -hmm. back to why we need to grow coral in the first place what does it do for the fish what is the importance of coral in mm -hmm. in a in an ecosystem right in a in a fish mm -hmm. tank and then in the ocean mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. why is it important to do uh, you know farming versus because it doesn't it all actually event you know don't you start with something from the wild yes and then absolutely develop from that but then mm -hmm. but then at the same time you're not harvesting from the ocean which we're having major issues with so do you see that this is part of conservation in a way too yeah <clears throat> so there are several aspects to all of this i mean first of all um i'm happy to report that the coral in the ocean is doing very well you know in australia the great barrier reef has more coral now than ever reported i even think and they started measuring it in wow. detail 35 years ago so I'm happy to report that the oceans are incredible, incredible things and they can, they go through cycles. And, um, 
a coral reef, um, if you know, under the surface of the ocean is like a little wall, right? A reef, like a little mountain, a little wall. It has just living coral on the surface, on the top, right? That's what a reef is. Mm -hmm. But all of this mountain, all of this is actually dead coral. So all of this died to give us this surface close um, coral area. Okay, oh, so, so it's like mushrooms. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just saying the reef built itself mm -hmm. out of dead coral. And also all this rock that we use in our tanks is harvested now on dry land from former coral reefs that are millions of years old because it's a calcium-based rock. That's what coral are. There are coral are animals, first mm. of all. They're not plants, so they're colonizing animals. And they build themselves out of cal uh, calcium and other stuff that's in the water. And um, But yeah, so the coral in general is doing better than a lot of people think. However, there is big impact by tourism and stuff, of course, and it's very bad. For example, in Hawaii, there was a big imp impact by the sun lotion that got used mm -hmm. by all the people that were uh, snorkeling at the reef. And that you could really see the coral didn't like that. Because what coral is, it's an animal that lives in water and the water in the ocean is very stable. It's the same. It doesn't fluctuate chemically very much in temperature a little bit, but other than that, the salinity, everything is the same. So that's what we try to recreate in a tank. And here's the problem. It's very difficult to recreate that because we only have not even the slice, not even a drop of the ocean. We have like a micro drop of the ocean here, right? And we need to keep that water as stable as possible. Okay. So, and if we achieve that though, the coral will grow just as in the ocean. However, though, um, the hobby through the decades now has taken coral off from the ocean and tried to propag or propagated it in a captivity in a home tank, in a home system. And there are countless species of coral out there. There are hard coral, there are soft coral, there are some that look like a tree, some that look like a flower, other have tentacles, you know, anemones is a coral as well. So... Um, over the time of the hobby, the certain species that do well in captivity have crystallized themselves out. So this is one aspect of farming. I'm just re-farming the types of coral that I have proven to do well for a hobbyist. Okay. Mm. Because they, they can, they can tolerate more swings in the water chemistry and the temperature and the pH and the salinity and all of that then a coral that comes fresh out of the ocean. So that's one answer to why do we farm it and why don't we get it out of the ocean? Because we have some species and there are more than any one person can keep in one tank. There are already proven species out there that work and that people can, like me, can reproduce without having to go back and harm because I see it as harming the ocean, harvesting from the ocean anymore. Yes. Okay. So the other as the other thing is you're indeed right. I look at it as um, my product versus an imported coral, which also exists. So my business model to bring this part in a little bit is I used to sell on eBay and to little um, local uh, clients for a mm -hmm. few years, which was um, an incredible pain sometimes because on eBay, so you ship that, you know, and then the coral is like 40, 50 dollars a piece. You ship a couple of them. Is this overnight shipped in a styrofoam package like medicine? 
with either a whole cold pack or a heat pack in there in a little baggie of water, like a fish. You put the coral wow. in, in there in a little baggie of water and you pay the 50 something dollars overnight shipping to FedEx or UPS to bring it to the to the client um, next day, right? But then stuff can go wrong. It can get too hot, too cold. The coral, you know, the client's tank is not very good. It dies very quickly. So they come back to eBay and want the refund and funny stuff. So there was a lot of effort, you know, in every single package that went out there. You know, mm -hmm. I would say 60% of the packages always went well and 40% was always a lot of effort. So now I stopped selling in small quantities and I sell to a wholesale place in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. That they call themselves, and I don't want to mention any names, but they call themselves the biggest uh, coral and fish wholesale place in the world. I don't know about that. You can but... mention their name if you want to. It's up to you. We're fine. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Sea dwelling mm -hmm. creatures is what they're called, and they're right at LAX behind the runway on One Tenth Street, right there. And so I made a deal with them that I can deliver all my coral every month, all of it, once a month. Then it will give me a way lower price, but instead of selling every individual piece and having to do with all the time and the shipping and the everything, I can just farm my coral now and get rid of it once a month and drive it there so there's no shipping involved um, and... Um, and farm like that. I like that much better because it mm. cuts down the time of mm. everything a lot. I can really only deal with the systems, with the product, mm -hmm. with the animals, so, 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 so to say, and can leave the client service is basically at 5% of what it was before. And this so, is a very important business lesson for people mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to understand systems and mm -hmm. under, you know, we all try to do the, the little, Parts, you know what I mean? Uh, like yeah. we want to have that individual contact, but sometimes you have to step up and go. Okay. Well, I Make mean, it, you have to work smart, not hard, right? And that way, you absolutely. Can have value yeah, absolutely. Your yeah. You have, if you want to do this or any other business, I think you have a part of your business that needs to be your cash cow, right? So that mm -hmm. just every month brings in the money like more or less no matter what. So you can buy new filter material, you can buy new salt if you have to change the water, you can buy a new light fixture if you need to, all of that. And to establish this business relationship with this wholesale place um, was very important for me to really uh, take this all of a sudden very, very serious as a business. Before it was like a hobby that paid for itself, but now it's like, hey, if they want that and they want more of that, I will make more of that. I will put more tanks. I have a system. I know how it buying works. Buying a second well, house, Linda. <laughs> right? No, He's I buying have a second house. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> we have a big garage that I could uh, convert. I don't know. See? But, um, um, but um, there's also the aspect, of course, of um, once you have all of these systems, these big systems running to produce a large number of coral every month, you will have a very stable setup. So you could do a few high-end corals because some of these corals are so expensive that people will pay several hundred dollars for a half-inch piece of wow. a certain type of coral. So are people, is coral, like, you know, people are getting fish tanks for fish, but is it no, like yeah. coral, are people getting tanks just to look at coral? 
Absolutely. So that's what uh, that's what's called a reef tank. But let me finish just one idea from the yeah, previous sure. question because it's, I think it's very important. Um, because we're talking about the uh, aspect of respecting nature and all of that. So yes, every coral that I deliver them for very cheap and they sell through to a store, they will not take from the ocean. Okay, See, that's that's every I love single that. every single one of them. And on top of that, mine will do better than they get from the ocean because what's very common in this industry is also you import coral and they're either wild harvested or they have also coral farms in the ocean, which I really like because all you have to do if you have to sink down a big grid of construction rebar, basically, and you wire a little piece of coral on it and it will grow into a beautiful colony because the water is always good in the ocean. And you harvest from that and you ship it to a wholesale place like that. I think that's legit. That's great. You know, I don't like it if people go to a wild reef and unethically harvest new coral and harvest 30 species because one or two might do well in the industry in the U.S. I don't like that. You know, there are already enough colorful species out there that are proven to work in the hobby tank. We should just be happy with that. But there are very strict rules around importing and everything. Very strict paperwork in Hawaii because of the sunscreen problem. They stopped the sunscreen thing. They also have uh, out there, they have different harvesting areas because a lot of the fish in the industry also come from Hawaii. And for certain uh, species, they completely, they don't import any for like three, four years now. And then they monitor that very closely. And if you, if you get caught with importing a wild animal that's not on the list or whatever. Oh, no, no, that's trafficking, man. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's how this industry is also very protected. So don't think that people just can go out and, you know, destroy reefs and give it to the wholesale place or whatever. No, that this cannot happen. This is very restricted. And those shipments are all very well marked and counted and, and all of that. However, there is a big loss in the industry, especially with, with the fish. Mm. I would estimate that over 60% of the fish that get caught in the ocean and all of them in the hobby. Now there are some breeding facilities that manage to breed some species, but I would say still 85% are white, wild caught. All the ones at Petco, you know, and, and yeah. all those big chains. So I estimate, and it's probably on the bright side, a 60 to 70% loss in Habitat. fish. And, and, and that means that's bad for the ecosystem. The in of life. So we yeah. harvest 100 fish, maybe 20 will make it alive into a customer tank. That's what I'm saying. That's insane, so, though. So 80% loss in that part, you know. Wow. So that's, that's very sad. And, um, you know, it's just... Um, a very fragile hobby, you know. That's why also I wasn't sure whether I do, I don't want to con- contribute, you say, you know, mm-hmm. so to say to the, to the industry. But I don't sell fish. You need the fish to keep the ecosystem working in the tank. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that more, but, um, I, w- I don't really sell fish. I only sell coral. You know, okay. and yeah, so my coral are very healthy and they have a good start. If the client gives it a, a good chance, they will live. But of course, that's out of my, con- you know, out of my mm-hmm. power to Tell see me how a little bit about 
which I was totally surprised about when I was staying uh, with you guys, how much time you have to spend on a daily basis. Can you mm-hmm. just tell us what you like? I know you get up like some unreasonable time, like four or 5 a.m., but how long? Tell me about your day. How, do, how mm-hmm. does a typical day go? Yeah, so for the coral um, farming in general, um, you need a lot of patience. And it's like a very delicate garden. And then if you want to expand it, you want to put up another tank to expand. You're saying that is month of preparation and putting it into the system and um, hooking that up. But on a daily basis, I would say if the system is all running well, your automation is running good, you have no major maintenance, okay? With like two hours, two and a half hours a day, you can get away. Mm. And then, then there's going to be one or two days a week where there is more or less of, you know, a six hour day involved at that scale. Um, in the week where I deliver my coral and then make new starts, that's a very busy week because preparing the new batch for a month out, that takes just like four days of straight eight hour work. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's- and then yeah so it's it's kind of reasonable also if i put more tanks if i put now i'm going to put a second grow tank in the basement the work's not going to double okay i'm going to add like 20 percent more of work for double my output of product if that makes sense um so it's scalable very well and then at a certain point you know i could see myself trying to hire a person that knows everything and that comes in twice a week and changes all the filters for me and and that and it's also stuff cycles through so you change the filters then you clean the pump then you clean the glass then you maintain the lights and then you change the filters again so not every day is the same because your maintenance it cycles through you know Mm -hmm. then you have a water change day and stuff like this so that suits me because i i'm i get up in the day and i see you know what do i have to do and i like it if my days are not the same you know that's a little the artist aspect you know and And so are the hours linda (laughs) before in the morning for musicians it's a prime hour (laughs) yeah yeah well most people stayed awake that long i i mean since i started doing this farming i'm getting up that early sometimes but um yeah, so um, that is like that. But I'm very confident that the the more you do it and the better equipment you have, which is also an aspect of this hobby, that having this scale of tanks, of gallons of waters running, is also very expensive. Buying the lights is very expensive. Paying the electricity is very expensive and so on. So, um, But I think there is a sweet spot as in any business where you know you can afford a couple hours of um hired help a week you can afford the electricity i'm planning a solar system that's solely for my tanks which will also back me up against power outages which we do get out here which might of course ruin everything if there's a power outage and i'm not here and i didn't catch it and it was let's say a day in the summer and everything got really hot Mm -hmm. that could be the end of it and from no, then, I, this, yeah, it's smart. It's smart. I think more and more people, the solar revolution, it's it's so good to do on an individual basis in a way. You see these mm-hmm. huge solar farms, 
It's a little mm-hmm. much. Um, I wanted to go to you about energy mm-hmm. because we have a friend who is in wind energy and I know everybody's divided on whether we should have wind energy or not. And we actually uh, interviewed um, the executive director of the Texas Aquarium in Corpus Christi in Texas. Oh, and they wow. were creating a, a wildlife uh, rescue section because through climate change and everyone can argue about all that, but they, they're having the hardcore issue of five to 10,000 sea turtles come up every winter from freezes. They're now also getting manatees from Florida migrating into Texas that they haven't had before. So they're very educational, but they have the reefs. And I want to talk to you about if you do things for the educational facilities, I see this as being a way instead of harvesting, which zoos and aquariums are notorious for harvesting from the wild way back when, and I know it's changing that coral being cultivated with what you're doing could be a, uh, a more biologically nicer way of using for education versus going into the wild. But um, anyway, wind energy, he was saying that we need to have a little bit of different. If you look at your 401k or your retirement portfolio, you have a little bit of stocks here. You have a little bit there. And we should look at that in energy, a little solar, a little wind, a little bit of gas. So maybe not everyone fighting over one or the other, right? Anyway, so that's one, just a thought. My friend in uh, wind energy has worked in ocean conservation for years and has been on, you might have actually been on a show with him, Mike Dunmire, and people are against him because they're they're working on um, wind energy in the ocean in uh, Delaware and Maryland. And yes, you're going to have a little eyesore in some areas, but, and I said, well, what about conservation of birds, all of that? And there are things that happen, right? Mm-hmm. But he was saying they have been doing all these environmental assessments and they put in a couple wind energy things. And he said the first thing that happened was coral started to grow where they were putting these wind energy um, turbines, which I thought was pretty amazing. Like I've heard stories about, I think it's in Southeast Asia where, you know, they put in old trucks and tractors and school buses in the ocean so that the reefs would have a way of growing on top of this. So it's kind of interesting what's going on in the coral world to me about what's happening in the ocean versus what's happening with what you're doing. But I see this value of what you're doing for just all these aquariums we have around the country and around the world and zoos and things like that and educational facilities for kids to understand would you see this as being like a source, uh, an ethical source of doing that versus harvesting from the wild? Yeah, and I think it's already been done for a long time. And okay. also this method is already being done to restore or repopulate reef areas or generate reef areas before. So it is just really not so new and not so... Um, yeah, so I think probably also that most aquariums and stuff like this probably go and buy from a store rather than order it for wild because that's also more expensive. You know, the, those wholesale places that order wild, um, they get a whole bunch of boxes and then they have holding tanks and they see they can afford that and they can see what does well or what doesn't. You know, some, t- some stuff gets sold through, they know it will die, but they still sell it while it's still alive, you know. So it's just a shady business in general, like any business, you know, with the wind energy and the solar energy. Um, yeah, I think with the wind power, we have to be careful because wind is really not, um, 
very constant and it changes around a lot. And also I know from Germany and uh, where they also put a bunch of those, it's also very con con controversial. And also you need to put in a huge, massive block of concrete in the ground to put the wind, the, the, the wind thing on. And okay. And then all that area is now sealed for rain. You know, it's going to be a dead block of concrete in the soil forever and you put a bunch of those in the forest like 20 or 30 i mean i don't like wind i do like solar i only think though that we have to be a lot more conscious that all those renewable energies are not storable and not producing constantly you know even here in the desert um if I would have solar on my house, the way it works, right? I put solar on my house and I feed into the grid and they give me money off my bill for whatever power I generate for them. That's the way mm -hmm. solar works, right? So, which um, is a problem because at night and when people want to charge their car and when people want to heat and people want to eat and people want to take a shower and take a bath, there is no sun anymore. Right. So for those times that have the highest usage, we still need conventional energy available. So that's really the whole problem with the renewable energy idea. Also what I run into with um, my fish tanks now, because I need a backup. We had in the last two months, they were scheduled, but we had four power outages. They were scheduled in the last two months only. And I had to run generators to keep my flow, my temperature, um, most of the lights on. You know, just to make the system not think uh, the world has ended because, as I said, the ocean is always constant and those are animals and they do shock by getting the wrong, mm -hmm. the wrong conditions for too long, too hot, too cold, they will die. So I will try to have a 48 volt battery solar system so I can store my energy, have my pumps and my circulation run overnight off the battery and in the day, when I need my lights on the tank on as well, my solar array will produce enough to charge the battery and run my lights. So that's my idea. So in that okay. way, I yeah. So in that way, I can be totally independent from the grid. The power will go out. My tanks will run. Still, there's no AC in the house. So if it's for too long, it's still a problem. But this is a very useful way for solar. You know. So um, um, I think I know that a lot of houses now have those Tesla batteries or batteries in general. And I think that's that's really what we need. The only problem is that those high capacity batteries need so much of those rare earth minerals. Well, that's why I'm looking at these um, high, these flow batteries as a new mm -hmm. thing um, that's working. And I'm hoping that will be something mm -hmm. cool. I mean, we did, mm -hmm. you know, you've been on our shows where we were live uh, for many years. And last year it was one of the last, what, 2023? two actually so let's get to where we are now now that we have a new year but um we actually one of our last live broadcasts we went through a mini tornado and ended up doing our live broadcast on a generator and i was sitting there and it was a solstice show too or, or equinox it was a fall equinox and we're sitting there going well we might as well go out with a bang <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> so it's like, mm -hmm. but you do have to and, and as we travel the country we're seeing that Every business does actually have to have some kind of backup. So you bring a really good point to that. In closing, mm -hmm. Linda, any any other questions for, for Misha? I just have one last question. Uh, somebody who wants to uh, plan to go from hobby to commercial 
What's yeah. the initial amount of money or what are the steps of money that you will need? Mm-hmm. You started out like you did in a smaller tank. And then you, I mean, your basement is like a mad scientist gone wild. Oh. There are tanks mm-hmm. and pumps and mm-hmm. calcium and salt and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. So about mm-hmm. how much money would somebody have to have to try to start even on a small scale, a commercial uh, farm? Okay, so a commercial farm on a small scale would probably mean that that person would try to sell on eBay like I did before. Maybe make 10 to 20 sales on eBay a month, okay? So that amount of coral you can grow in a much smaller system than I have. Um, So the thing is with the industry of fish tanks and reefs, um, in general, there's a lot of money being made because this is an absolute complete luxury item. Okay. Somebody with little money will not get into this because the lights can be very expensive. If I buy industry best lights for this tank, LED in the newest to come out there, we're, we're talking about $4,000 just in light for this tank that's behind me that's seven foot long. The tank itself costs $3,000 itself. I had a stand custom made for $1,000. Okay. So we're not talking about any filtration, any, anything. So if you just have a, um, a hobby tank that's six foot long about, that's already $6,000, like right out of the gate. And you're just having a hobby tank. You're not producing anything yet. So now you need to run that system long enough that it is stable enough that it will produce coral for you. And you need to have to to prove yourself in keeping it well enough that it will stay like that. Then you might add to that system if you can without having to buy everything over again for a second tank in your garage like I did. You would ideally add to that to that hobby system another tank and plumb it together whether it's on the floor or you know, on the ground next to it with another stand, but you would have a shallow tank where you can put a lot of these little corals in here. And um, then to expand to that is probably another three to $4,000. So, and See, then... Eva, you Linda, can... you're always attracted mm-hmm. to expensive things, aren't you? <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. And then you have to be ready for an electric bill that's mm-hmm. $50, $100, $200 a month, maybe at that size. Oh, well, you're in California. You're screwed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, it sounds very expensive, but then if you're like me and you, um, you know, you buy the good stuff that you need, good, and you don't compromise on it, but where you, wherever you can do something yourself or you buy something used or you, you know, you find way to build your system better and luckily out cheaper. And I luckily have some friends in the industry that helped me with some lights that somebody wanted to get rid of. And my first tank, my big grow tank was given to me for cheap. And so, yeah, you definitely, you need money to have a hobby tank you need more money to make it a, a, a business and then you also need friends because stuff will also go wrong and you need to be able to exchange with people like what went wrong was it the water was it the light was it the flow how did it look how do how do i recover what do i do you know if i get pests sometimes you get a little warm that eats on the coral and then you have to take every coral out and dip it two times a week for six weeks in a row to get rid of it of this parasite, for example. That's all stuff that can happen to you. And it, Don't you know. bleach the coral, Misha. 
no bleaching. <laughs> oh, let me tell you if we have a minute. One yeah, you got one minute. Yeah. Really. Oh no. One fact about the corals: they are only white calcium skeleton, and the color you see on top of it is a layer of symbiotic algae that generates the color that is uh, completely separate from the animal that we call a coral. Oh wow, that's because inc- it's psychedelic. As soon as I saw all this. I'm like, Misha's getting psychedelic. He's happy in Joshua Tree, man. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm expecting some psychedelic blues, dude. Come on. <laughs> I hope I you guys going to come see me at the Red Dog. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We got to get our butts back to California. Everyone, again, go to DesertCoralRanch.com and follow Misha on Desert Coral Ranch on Instagram. Go check the photos out. And if you want to just chill out for a while, watch the reels. Um, it's very cool. And, of course, keep up with Diva Linda at allingoodtaste.info. And Diva Linda's here every first Sunday, uh, Saturday, excuse me, every first Saturday because she wants to be first and she is. So thank you both. It's always fun. Thank you. Oh, and Misha, what's the music? Misha Shellhouse for the music, for everyone to keep up with you there? MishaMusic.com. Oh, MishaMusic.com. There it is. All right. Take care, everyone. Happy New Year. Bye. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio with travel writer Linda Kassam. Keep up with Linda at allingoodtaste.info. You can read her articles in Big Blend magazines and keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com.